Maybe you totally forgot the whole topic of last week's sermon. Can I give you a little hint as to what it was about? Who remembers this? Does this help you remember last week's sermon? What was the topic of last week's sermon? Everybody together. Obedience. That's right. Obedience. And the key verse, can you say that verse with me? Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Very good. I got my notes. Can someone tell me what the first kind of obedience we talked about last week? What was the first kind? Who remembers? I'm looking for a child. Yes, I've got Elijah, William, somebody younger. What was the first kind of obedience we talked about last week? Micaiah? Immediate obedience. Remember, we learned that to delay is to disobey. So the first is immediate. Can you say that with me? Let's try again. Immediate obedience. Good. Now, how many of you practiced that this week? You don't have to raise your hand. I hope you all practiced it this week. And not just on Mother's Day, but all through the week to obey immediately. Does anybody remember what the second kind of obedience we talked about? Hope he remembers. Hope he, what was it? Can you say it louder? Did you all hear that? Let's all say it together. I don't think you all heard it, but let's try it again. Yes, complete obedience. How important it is to finish the job and report when the job is done. So immediate obedience, complete obedience. And who remembers the third one? Does anybody remember the third one? I'm giving you a hint. You all should be figuring it out. What was it? Yes, joyful obedience. Not murmuring obedience, but joyful obedience. Now, the last one's a little bit harder. Well, it's not quite the last one, but the fourth one's a little bit harder because we used a big word that you may not know and understand all what it means. But does anybody remember it? Anticipated obedience. Let's say that together. Very good. Now, I told you all to help me find a better word, and someone came to me after the service last week and gave me a suggestion, and it was planned obedience. Is that a good word? You can plan to obey. You plan and know what the plan is, and you make plans to obey even before being asked. So anticipated, planned obedience. And then the last one wasn't really obedience, but it's what makes obedience really special. Does anybody remember that one? Hopi? The extra mile. You guys all know what that means? I didn't do a very good job explaining that last week, so I thought I'd take a moment to explain it this week. Jesus, when talking to some of the people in Israel, 
he told them that when they are compelled, that means required, to go one mile, they're to go two miles. Now, do we have any kids that are right at 12 years old or close to it? William, how you're about 12? You want to come up here and help me illustrate this? You see, in the days of Jesus, the Romans were all over the place. And the Romans had all kinds of stuff in here. I've got my set of authentic, it's an authentic replica of Roman armor. All right. William, could you go get the shield too for me? Well, with Roman soldiers all over the place, all over Israel, all over the Middle East, all over Europe, there was a law in the empire that a Roman soldier could compel, that means make, anyone who was 12 years old or older to carry their stuff for one mile. Now, I don't know how you guys figure out miles or how to picture a mile in your families and in your homes. Um, my kids, that would be like walking around our street, up our street, around the cul-de-sac and back, you know that walk route we take? That would be like doing that 10 times. Okay? So, William, you're 12, right? Carry my stuff a mile. You know my street. Could you imagine carrying this all up and around the cul-de-sac and back 10 times? Think you could do it? You think you could even just carry my shield that far? Yeah, you could do that. You could carry the shield. But let's see. Let's see. Wait. Just pick up the armor. It's got nice handles. All righty. Now, you think you can go a mile? You think you can go 10 yards? Maybe. Maybe. You can set it down. Now. The reason I wanted to bring this out and I want to talk some more about it is, is that when we read about the extra mile, typically we just think, you know, doing a little bit extra. You know, just, just putting a little bit of extra effort into it. And I don't think we realize that the first mile is exhausting, let alone a second mile. So when we talk about the extra mile obedience, we're not talking about an extra smile. We're not talking about picking up an extra thing you weren't told to pick up. We're talking about a real sacrifice of investing. You know, think about this. If I could make you go with me a mile, and then you offer to go with me two miles, hmm, tell me, do you think I might be interested in who this guy is? Yes, I am. And if this guy is a follower of Jesus, and he's obeying Jesus and sharing the gospel with every creature, including the Roman creatures, you think he's going to have an opportunity to tell me about Jesus in that second mile? Actually, maybe not. He's probably working too hard to talk. But maybe he goes the third mile just walking. Somebody else carries, sharing Jesus. You see, going the extra mile is work. But it really is important. 
When we are told to do something, we obey immediately. We do it completely. We do it cheerfully. We anticipate what needs to be done, and we do it. We plan. Lastly, we sacrifice of ourselves, and we go the extra mile. All right, so I hope that helps you. And if you're curious of what it was like to carry Roman soldier stuff, well, you just come up here later or see me afterwards when it gets put in the back room and you can figure out how to carry all this. What they'd do is they'd actually take and pile all their armor on top or on, inside the shield and then they'd wrap the shield in a skin and um, sometimes they'd take it and put a rod through it and they'd kind of like drag it. Um, and other times they'd take it and get it all on there. It's about 75 pounds and they'd lift it up and they'd carry it like this. A whole mile. That's exhausting. So when we think of going the extra mile, it's not just a little deal. It's a big deal. All right? So thank you, William. I hope we all continue to practice obedience. Even moms and dads need to be obeying. It's so very important. Well, let's dive back into 2 Kings and today, we are in 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9. There we are. Now, when we dive into this chapter... There's some fascinating things in this chapter and some interesting history and some details from time gone by. So we look at our timeline. This is the united monarchy, the first kings of Israel. King Saul reigned 40 years. His dynasty only lasted one generation. Then God appointed his neighbor, David, to be king. David reigned for 40 years and he died. And God promised that his dynasty, his house, would never lack a man to sit upon the throne. And so that means his dynasty is going to stay. That purple color is going to stay. Solomon became king. He reigned for 40 years. When Solomon died, his son, Rehoboam, became king, but he was a foolish king, and he brought about a division in the kingdom with Jeroboam the king, ruling in Israel, and he in the south. Well, today in chapter 9 of 2 Kings, we are going to learn about some of the history here as actually gets reviewed. We're going to hear about Jeroboam, and you see his dynasty ended. And we're going to learn about Baasha, and um, you see his dynasty ended. And we're going to learn about that little black line right there called Zimri. Oh, how long did his dynasty last? Does anybody remember? Seven days. Ah, and then we're going to learn about the dynasty of Omri. In fact, here is where the events of 2 Kings chapter... 2 Kings chapter 9 take place. And if you look at this timeline, you can tell ahead of the story, can't you? Do you see the dynasty of Omri? What color is it? It's green. Now, you see where the yellow bar is? 
Does the dynasty of Omri keep going? Yes or no? Oh, yes, but no. You see it down in Judah, but it really ceases as a kingdom. What's going on down in Judah is something different. We'll learn about that later. It's connected. Now, are any of you surprised to hear that the dynasty of Omri is coming to an end? Nobody's surprised? I should have asked it reverse. Are any of you not surprised? Why? Why would we not be surprised that the dynasty of Omri is coming to an end? Well, there's some events that today we're going to learn about that come from way back at the beginning of Omri's dynasty, some events from the middle of Ahab's reign to the near end of Ahab's reign that tells us that we should not be surprised. In fact, we need to do a flashback in history, and we will learn something. Do you remember this event? This is his majesty, King Pouty Ahab. He wanted a vineyard, he didn't get a vineyard, so he ended up with his wife's idea, murdering a man and stealing his vineyard. And as he's walking through that vineyard, enjoying the delicious grapes of his neighbor, the vineyard he stole, he's going through and he comes and there he sees. Who's he see? Who's the other guy in that picture? Who remembers? William? Elijah. Now, do you think that Elijah and Ahab were friends, yes or no? No, they were not friends. In fact, when Ahab saw Elijah there in his vineyard, he said to him back in 1 Kings 21, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Well, yeah, Elijah found him. And he answered him, and, and, and he says, I have found thee. Elijah, you want to come up and read what you told him? Now, take your Bibles and turn back there to 2 Kings chapter 21. Ahab here sees and finds Elijah, and, um, and here Micaiah or, or not Micaiah, Ahab says to Elijah, you know, I, I, I have found me on my enemy. And, and listen to what Elijah says in reply. I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab, him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation, provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger, and, ha and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, 
Also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. Mm. Did you hear that? Does it make your ears tingle? It does mine. You see why I reviewed the timeline a little bit? What does it mean when it says that your posterity shall be cut off? What's your posterity? Your children, your family, your dynasty. He says your dynasty is going to be just like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, cut off. Your dynasty is going to be just like Baasha, cut off. Ended. Well, is it going to happen? Elijah's dead. Gone. Well, there's some debate as to whether or not he's dead. He was caught up to heaven. He's gone. Omri's dynasty. Ahab's family continued. Ahaziah, his son, reigned. Joram, his son, reigned after his brother died. Is it going to come to pass? Well, Elijah also was one who fled, you remember, from Jezebel. Do you remember that? Do you remember when Jezebel fled? And God found him down at Mount Horeb. Do you remember that? And there at Mount Horeb, he spoke to him in a still, small voice. And you remember God then gave him a job to Elijah. He said to Elijah, go to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou come, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephat, of Abel-Moloch, shalt thou appoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. There are prophecies, serious, scary prophecies for the family of Ahab. But everything seems to be going all right, doesn't it? Well, you remember last week, or week before that, we, we learned about um, the house of Jehoshaphat and how he made his son to be king in his stead. And you remember that um, Joram was married to Athaliah. And you remember what Joram did to his siblings, right? He murdered them. All of his family he murdered. And the seed royal. So, big, big problem here with this family. Big, big, big problem. Well, Joram received, you remember, a letter. Do you guys all remember that letter? Does anybody remember what was in that letter? Does anybody remember who wrote the letter? Elijah, yes. I heard it. No, you were playing this guy last week, weren't you? Did you like what was in this letter? Yeah. Did you like what was in this letter last week? Do you remember what was in this letter? 
forgotten. You know what? If he was the real Joram, he wouldn't have forgotten. Did all of you forget? Well, let's take our Bibles and turn over to 2 Kings. And let's look and see. There's a letter that shows up here. And um, it came to um, Joram. And I need my harmony because guess what? It's not actually in 2 Kings chapter 8. It's going to be over in Chronicles. 2 Chronicles where we find a letter from Elijah. A letter from Elijah. 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And you remember this letter. What was in this letter? I'll read it again because it's relevant to what's going on here. But this is in the southern kingdom. So we've got all these prophecies from Elijah regarding the northern kingdom and Ahab's family getting cut off. From Elijah. And now, seven years after Elijah has been translated to heaven, a letter shows up from him. I am actually, I still, when I get to heaven, I have some major questions about this letter. I really do. Where has this letter been for seven years? Where's it been? Um, did God do something extra special in, with Elijah and bring the letter down from heaven? I, I, don't, I, I don't think so, but did he? I mean, where has it been for seven years? Who's had it for seven years? And whoever had it, it must have been sealed. Because there's information in this letter that if people knew what was in this letter ahead of time, seven years before, there could have been some major things changed. Because this letter predicted exactly what would happen. But yet it's written as if it's already happened. Was it written seven years before? Was it written just now and God... It's from Elijah. It's a, it's a very interesting letter. And it says here that there was this writing that came to this king, this wicked king, from Elijah the prophet, and it said this, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast walked not in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but hast walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and hast also slain thy brethren of thy father and house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Ugh. Judgment's been warned. Judgment's been warned. Well, in spite of all this, not just is he warned that he would die, but also it tells us in 2 Chronicles 21 that moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians and that were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and break into it, and carry away all the substance that was found in the king's house, and his sons also, 
and his wives, so that there was never a son left, save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons, also named Ahaziah. So here he comes. Joram has already massacred all of his siblings and of the royal seed. And so he leaves his own children. That was nice of you. Wish your wife thought the same. Nice of him. He left his children. But then these enemy armies come in after he's done this, and they carry away all of his older children and leaving just the youngest, the baby, is who they left. Now, I got a question. Why didn't God have the Philistines carry Athaliah away too? Nope, she got to stay. Along with the youngest of his sons. It's the last we've ever heard of them. It's presumed that they died. The rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And after all this, it tells us, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. And it came to pass that in the process of time, it wasn't like he got struck in his bowels like later in the New Testament, one of the Herods got struck with worms and died within a very short time. No, he got struck, and it says a matter of time, two years. For after two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness so that he died of sore diseases. It tells us that his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. There was no, there was no in a way, celebration of his life. There was no incense burned for him. He was 30 and two years old when he began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. How many of you want to die and nobody misses you? That was the case with this king. He died and nobody missed him. There's an interesting note comparison. <clears throat> if you've read your harmony ahead, I hope, I hope you use these and compare them because there's an apparent contradiction here because King says that he was buried with his fathers in the city of David, but then over in Chronicles it says that he wasn't. So what's that mean? What's the solution? Well, one I recommend to you is that initially he was buried with his fathers, but then everybody started thinking, wait a minute, he didn't deserve to be buried with the kings, and so they moved him. Still buried, with the, buried in the city of David, but not with his fathers, the kings. He was so despised, he was not desired. Well, so Jehoram dies, and Ahaziah, his youngest son, becomes king in Judah. Now, see the relationship here. Currently now, Asa is dead, Jehoshaphat is dead, all of these guys are dead, all of his older siblings, nameless, unknown, have been carried captive away, presumed dead. Ahaziah has died after a short reign, and now we have Jehoram, Joram, and Ahaziah, he ruling in Israel, Joram ruling in Israel, and Ahaziah ruling in Judah. You see this? 
uncle, nephew, relationship. Uncle, nephew, relationship. Well, Joram's dead. Ahaziah becomes king. And again here, by the way, there's another apparent contradiction. I've explained a suggested resolution in the harmony. And if you have further questions, Floyd Jones does an excellent job at also explaining this contradiction of the timing of things. We don't have time this morning to go into it as much as I would love to go into it. But please look at that and compare and study it. Take time to study it. Study God's word. As we look at these timings of the years and how it all fits together and the pieces of how it all works together. But Ahaziah, do you think now, remember last week we talked about the Lord visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, but showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You see, Ahaziah could walk in the way of Joram, or he could walk in the ways of Jehoshaphat and Asa, or he could walk in the ways of Ahab. He has the choice. Yes, he's got it on both sides of the family of people who don't walk in the ways of God. But he has a choice as one who could love God and keep his commandments. Will he? Well, it tells us right here. It tells us right here that in the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, did Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, begin to reign Two and twenty years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri, king of Israel. And he walked, Ahaziah, walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil evil in the sight of the Lord, as did the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Now, it also tells us here that over in 2 Chronicles that his mother, Athaliah, was his counselor to do wickedly. Ahaziah's mother counseled him to do wickedly. It tells us that he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab. And in 2 Chronicles 22 and verse 4 it says this, For they were his counselors after the death of his father, And look at the last two words, or three words. To his destruction. Consulars to his destruction. Well, now let's go back to the northern kingdom. We've got Joram. Oh, my. So much trouble. So much curses pending. What will happen? What will happen? He's king and he's king. Nephew and uncle are king together. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Kings. 2 
Kings. Second Kings, because it gives us some information here. At the end of chapter 8, here we have these kings, and now we switch up to the northern kingdom. And it tells us that Joram, the son of Ahab, 2 Kings 8.28, Joram, the son of Ahab, went to war against Haziel, king of Syria and Ramoth-Gilead. So there's a war, and that's all we know about it. Now remember last time, when we had the king of Syria sick, sent for Elijah, sent Haziel to Elijah, and then you remember the message came back that he, he, he would recover. But yet then Haziel smothered him and suffocated him to death, killed him, usurped the throne. All kinds of terrible things going on in history right now, huh? Now Haziel has become king. And remember Elisha wept because he said that you're going to cause such destruction in Israel? In here, there's no record of it except for this one little simple statement that he went to war against him. This war was horrible. This war was a war that even before it happened caused Elisha to weep. And remember, Haziel's like, I wouldn't do that. Am I a dog? And he did it. And in the midst of that battle that was so terrible and brought about the loss of life, not just of soldiers, but of innocent people, Joram was wounded. So this guy goes to war with Haziel, king of Syria, and he gets wounded. And he comes from the battle of Ramoth-Gilead, and he comes back to Jezreel. Let's look at a map here. See Israel? See the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean Sea? Let's zoom in here. See Ramoth-Gilead on the right side of the screen there? They're in Gilead. That's where the battle was. Oh, that's later. He comes back to Jezreel. He has been wounded. And so he comes back to Jezreel to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria. And so he's here, and the news spreads. And it spreads down to the southern kingdom, and Ahaziah hears the news. Uncle Jehoram has been wounded. Uncle Joram's been wounded. And so you know what Ahaziah decides? He's going to go visit Uncle King Joram. For it tells us, And Ahaziah, the son of Joram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. So he comes from Jerusalem on up to Jezreel. Now, Second Chronicles gives a little bit more information. For it says there that this was of the Lord in 2 Chronicles 22, verse 7, that the destruction of Ahaziah was of God by coming to Joram. Did I just tell you ahead of the story? Joram is following in the councils. He's got this relationship with his uncle that he shouldn't have. And here he comes to visit him, to comfort him, to help him in his wounds. And God is using it and planning it to bring about both of their destructions. Flashback to a long time ago, 15 years before, when Ahab fled for his life from Jezebel down to Mount Horeb. God gave him three jobs there. Remember what were those jobs? 
Go anoint Haziel, king of Syria. Go anoint Jehu, king of Israel. Well, who's this Jehu? Well, we're going to meet this Jehu. Where is Jehu? Jehu, Jehu. There's Jehu. Come here, Jehu. Jehu, you, you know who he is? He's your general. Here we've got the king up in the north, but you're, I don't know, you got wounds. You better be limping or something at least. I mean, he's, he's been wounded pretty bad. And here we've got Jehu. Jehu's his general. So back at Ramoth Gilead, you got wounded, and they bring you back to your summer palace in Jezreel. Your, your royal palace is in Samaria. Your summer palace in, in Jezreel, nice place where you can relax, you know, like Camp David compared to Washington, D.C. That's where you go. He's your general. He's still at Ramoth Gilead fighting Haziel. The battle not necessarily going well. You don't know. You're sick here in Jezreel trying to, trying to recover. And Jehu is still fighting the battle. So he's in Jezreel. And now we have another guy who comes into play, Elisha. Who's Elisha? Elisha was the man who had been anointed and appointed as the replacement of Elijah. Elisha has a job. He has the job of appointing Haziel as king of Syria. He's done that. And Haziel's doing exactly what you wept over him doing. Massacring Israel. And now you have a job. Who wants to be his servant? Who wants to be one of the sons of the prophets? Anybody want to be the sons of the prophets? Anybody want to be the sons of the prophets? Paul wants to be one of the sons of the prophets. So you've got a job for him. His job is to go. What's this, what's this job? Gird up thy loins and take this box of oil in thine hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when thou comest thither, look out there, Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him arise up from among his brethren and carry him into an inner chamber. Then take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not. Did you get all that? Did you get all that? So he's now got this. One of the sons of the prophets. So he's going to go to Ramoth Gilead. Now where is Elisha? I, I don't exactly know. But his job is to go to Ramoth Gilead and anoint him as king. Remember, the king is in Jezreel. His general, Jehu, is in Ramoth Gilead. And this messenger has a plan for him. But all his soldiers, let's imagine, do we have any soldiers here that want to be soldiers with him? Yeah, we do. Nathan, come on. Elijah, Micaiah, Charlie. You guys, you guys go be with him. You're his soldiers. You're his soldiers. And you're at the camp there at Ramoth Gilead, and you're just waiting for what all is going to happen. And so this young man even the young man of the prophets, he goes to Ramoth Gilead, and when he came, he beheld the captains of the host. They were sitting. And he says to him, I have an errand, for, errand to thee, O captain. An errand for this captain. Well, they, they, ask, they ask him, Which of all of us? To thee, O captain. This one here. The, 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 the main guy. And so you know what? They arose... And they went into the house. 
And oh, we got to grab some. You guys stay out here. You guys stay out here. You're dying to know what's going on, though, in here. You don't have any idea what's going on in here, but you're dying to know what's going on in here. And so he, he comes to Jehu. And remember, he's got this little box of oil. And they come into this house. You guys can't see what's going on. You don't know what's going on. And, and he pours the oil on his head and says to him, Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel, and thou shalt mind, and thou, and thou shalt smite the house of Ahab, thy master, that I might avenge the blood of the, my servants and the prophets, and the blood of the servant of the Lord at the hand of, Jezbe, of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall persist, and I will cut off from Ahab him that pursueth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Baasha, Baasha the son of Ahijah. Ahijah. And the dog shall eat of Jez Jezebel, of the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. The message is given. The anointment has taken place. And you know what you do? You go. He opens the door of that house and he runs away. And you, you didn't hear any of this. You didn't, you didn't see any of this. All, all you just saw is that they went into the house and then this guy, he just opened the door and he went, Choof! we're dying of curiosity. What in the world happened in that room? And so when Jehu comes forth, to the servants of his Lord, that's us. We say to him, is all well? Wherefore came this mad fellow to thee? You know the man in his communication. It is false. It's false. Tell us now, tell us now. Thus and thus spake he to me, saying, thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king of Israel. So you know what we all do? We take our cloaks, our garments, and we take them and we put them. Can you guys, you're horrified to see this, aren't you? We put them down before him. Aren't you going to take yours and put it on the floor? Wouldn't your mom appreciate that? Well, as they did. They took off their garments and they, and they put them down. And you know what they did? They, they made a throne for Jehu. They got excited. They got excited and they blew the trumpets. And you know what they all cried out? Jehu is king. They think it's funny. Help him out. Jehu is king. Jehu is king. No, he's not. He's king. This guy here, he is sick. Back in Jezreel, he's sick. But yet now all these people are declaring, Jehu is king. Jehu is king. Jehu. No, he's not. But they've made him king. They've made him king. And so it tells us here that they took every man his garment and they put it under him on the top of the stairs and they blew with trumpets. Jehu is king! Jehu is king! 
And so Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshai, conspired against Joram. Now, Joram had kept Ramoth Gilead, he and all Israel, because Haziel, king of Syria, was this fortress. But King Joram was returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds, so he's not here when they fought with Haziel, king of Syria. And so, these guys here, they're sitting down, they're going to have a feast, they're celebrating, Jehu's king, Jehu's king, Jehu's king. It's kind of funny that they, 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 they wanted to know about that messenger. And they're like... And, and when he comes out and says, you know what he came for. And they go, no, it's false, it's false. We don't know, we don't know, we don't know. Tell us, tell us, tell us. And tell us what this madman said to you. Interesting, the madman. But now, Jehu's king, Jehu's king, Jehu's king. And they're having a celebration. And all of a sudden, Jehu thinks, hmm, news of this celebration is going to make it to him. And that won't be good. And so Jehu... In the midst of this celebration, he looks to his servants and he says this. If it be your minds, thus let none go forth nor escape out of the city to go tell it to Jezreel. Don't let anybody out. Lock up the city, seal the city. And do you know what then Jehu does? He gets on his chariot with a few other men apparently on chariots. And he goes on his way to Jezreel. And oh, by the way, in case you forgot, Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. And so he's riding on his chariot. See him going? Ah. Now, it's quite a distance, you see, from Ramoth Gilead over to Jezreel. But don't worry. Jehu is a furious driver. That's why I cast a Joel. He's a furious chariot driver. And he's riding on and riding on to Jezreel. And it tells us that there stood a watchman on the tower in Jezreel. A watchman who's watching for enemies. And this watchman, he spied the company of Jehu as he came. And he says, I see a company. He sees a company. And so Joram, you hear this. There's this company. What, what should be done? And so, someone goes to meet Joram. Where did he go? Joram, Joram, Joram. Oh, you're coming from the battle. See, he doesn't know why he's coming. You're coming from the battle of, 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 of Ramoth Gilead. Is it peace? Is it peace? What hast thou to do with peace? Turn me behind me. Oh, he must have a really scary message for the king. So, this servant follows along with Joram. And, and the watchman, he's up there, and he sees this take place. And, and, um, and, and, and the king says, the, the, the message, he reports. The messenger came to them, So you know what his majesty does? He sends forth another on horseback, which came to Joram and says to him, is it peace? Is it peace? What hast thou to do with peace? Get thee behind me! Oh! And he too, he even came to him driving and huh, the message comes back. I'm okay. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And, 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 and they see this here and the, and the watchman's looking out and, and, and he reports to the king. 
So what's his majesty do? His majesty decrees. Make ready. Make ready what? His chariot. Make ready his chariot. The wounded king is going to go forth to meet Jehu, his general. Jehu must have a very important message, must have very important news from the battlefield, from Ramoth Gilead. Hear Jehu. You all know Jehu is a conspirator. You all know Jehu is a traitor. King Joram doesn't know that. King Joram is convinced this is his most loyal general. This is his general who has been fighting his wars in Ramoth Gilead while he is wounded. So he rides upon his chariot as it was made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, his nephew, both of them, went out each in his chariot. And they went out against Jehu. And they met him in the portion. Pause, 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 Jehu. They met him. Look at this. Where do they meet him? They meet him in the portion of Naboth. The Jezreelite. Pause. Do any of you know anything about that? Oh, good. Some of you do. But all of you need to know about that. That place is this place. Where 15 years before, Elijah had said, your house will be cut off. In this very vineyard. And so Jehu and King Joram and King Azariah, they met here in this place, and it came to pass as they came together that Joram says to him, Is it peace, Jehu? Is it peace? Is it peace, Jehu? What peace so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? And so Joram, he turned his hand, and he's on his chariot, remember here, and he fled, and he says to Ahaziah, and so he begins to flee, both of them, and Jehu, he pursues after them in the chariot, and Jehu draws the bow, and careful, he shoots. He shoots that bow with his, he drew it at his full strength. And it tells us that he smote Jehoram between his arms and the arrow went out at his heart and he sunk down in his chariot. Dead. Then Jehu he says to his captain. Take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth of Jezreelite. For remember how that when I and thou rode together after Ahab his father, the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, saith the Lord. I will requite thee in this plate, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast them into the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. Apparently Jehu was there that day when the judgment was pronounced upon Ahab. He heard it. And so they took King Joram. They just cast him into the side of the street. 
right there in the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And you know what they then did? Ahaziah, he saw this, and he fled by the way of the garden house. It means he went back up into that city, knowing what was going on, and he fled back into that city, and he got away. But Jehu, he kept pursuing him. He gave the commandments. Smite him also in the chariot! So they pursued him in the chariot. They pursued him. They pursued him. And you know what? They wounded him. You can see here, as they went on from that place, Ahaziah is fleeing out, getting away. But they get him. They, they, they wound him. If we look back at our map, he, he moved down south. See down there near Dothan? There at that region, they caught up with him and they smote him, but he still got away. He still got away. And he ended up fleeing, actually, we find out by comparing Scripture with Scripture, down to Samaria, and then he flees to Megiddo. And here it tells ahead of the story he died there. But what happened in Jezreel? Well, we're all out of time. So are you going to be here next week? We're all out of time. What happens in Jezreel? Because there's someone else who judgment was pronounced upon in Jezreel, isn't there? All out of time. You'll have to read ahead or read next week. But can I remind you of what we spent much time last week talking about? God said in the Ten Commandments that he would visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Joram, Ahaziah, both of them ought to have identified the sins of their fathers and said, I don't want that in my life. I want to love God. I want to serve God. And with his help, I will obey. But they did not. They continued to disobey God and to hate God. And God knew that, and that's why this judgment came upon this family. There's still little remnants of Ahaziah or of Ahab's family. The judgment will come. It's coming. None of them chose to love God. Do we love God? Let's love God and keep his commandments, regardless of who our parents are, whether they were good or bad. Think of Joram of Judah. He had Joseph had as a father, but he didn't walk in his father's footsteps. And we have Joram of Israel, and his father was Ahab, and he chose to walk in the steps of his father Ahab. Let's choose to walk right. Father, we need your help today. Thank you for your word. Teach us through it. And Lord, may all of us love you, love you with all of our mind, our heart, and our souls. You are good to us. And we commit ourselves to you now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.